listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. We're going behind the headlines today. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence. We pulled a couple of different interesting articles that have been out recently surrounding AI and sort of what's going on. There's so much going on in artificial intelligence all the time that we could we could make, obviously, a whole podcast program about this. But there were three articles that we, you and I bantered back and forth that we I'd like to talk about. The first one was one you shared from the, they're all from the Wall Street Journal. One is the headline is, can AI replace humans? We went to the fast food drive through to find out. And you wanted to summarize that or, or should we summarize all three real quick? Yeah, why don't you summarize all three? That's the first one. It's it's a story of one of the the journals journalists basically went to I think it was a McDonald's or a Hardee's drive-through where they have been testing using an artificial intelligence bot, I guess, to to take orders and went through the drive-through thirty times, I think, to describe that experience and what it was like. The second article was titled "Outcry Against AI Companies Grows Over Who Controls the Internet's Content." This is an article mostly about efforts from content creators think published authors with copyrights to protect that are embroiled in some level of litigation with OpenAI and other entities like them about how they might have used copyrighted content to train their their algorithms and large language learning models and wanting to get compensated for that. So there's sort of protracted negotiations around what can they use, what can't they use, what's the legal repercussions here, which is a huge, huge issue, right? And the third piece was a derivative of that, to me anyway, that is a little older. It's maybe a couple weeks old. Also from the journal, AI junk is starting to pollute the internet. And it's an article about how online news publications and magazines are seeing a glut of AI-generated article submissions where someone has clearly generated a, an article topic and tried to submit it for publish using AI and they've never really touched the thing. And they're sort of, they're getting inundated by it and they're seeing just a flow of, of lots of lots of content. And I think we can also assume, it doesn't really cover that in the article, but there's obviously a lot of AI-generated content just being directly self-published all over the place, right? Those are the three articles we, you know, we wanted to talk about. So let's start at the top. The fast food piece is interesting. Why are we talking about fast food? You shared that one, actually. Why did it catch your attention? I, I found it interesting as well, but why did it catch your attention? Why did you say, hey, we should talk about this? I, well, I, f- I find it interesting for a couple of reasons. One is it's an excellent example of how organizations are experimenting with AI on the front lines. and trying to figure it out. And the more experimentation that happens, I think the faster we find out, you know, what are viable applications of this technology? Because right now we're kind of operating under hypothesis, given these parameters, these would be good use cases for that. But we never know until we jump in and actually do it. Um, And and the fast food one, I I think is just a, a great, really tactical example of how to apply it. What I found interesting about it was, and I said this to you in our in our setup, was that I believe the experiments were being run at McDonald's and at Hardee's. I haven't been to Hardee's in forever, so I can't comment on them, but I certainly have been to McDonald's. And the thing that I would say is I, I try to avoid going to McDonald's at all costs, mainly because the service experience got so bad during the pandemic that it was just a miserable experience every time you went there. And so it would take forever. 
It was so slow. And then usually we're going for ice cream and the ice cream machine was always broken. And that seems to be kind of a problem everywhere. I don't care where you are, all over the country, ice cream machine is broken. And so the contrast was, I always said during the pandemic, and it's gotten kind of, it's not gotten any better. You know, you'd pull up to a McDonald's, there'd be five cars in line and you wait 45 minutes to get through the line. You pull up to a Chick-fil-A, there would be a line into the street that's like 70 deep and they'd move it through in like five, 10 minutes. What I found interesting about this article and from my standpoint was that like Chick-fil-A's name didn't appear in this list of companies testing this. And when, at least when we go to Chick-fil-A in our neighborhood, there's people outside taking the orders car side with an iPad. And I read a, a companion article to this that wasn't even really related, but it was an article about cloud-free communications technologies, different companies that are essentially building technologies that let you operate it outside the cloud and communicate. So they're being used like at airplanes to communicate between flight attendants. So the front of the back of the plane when they can't access the cloud, but they need to communicate. Chick-fil-A is using that technology to make sure that they can get orders done at the point of sale if the cloud goes down, if there's any any difficulties whatsoever. So to me, Chick-fil-A is investing in, what's invest in technology that enables our people to better serve our customers? And McDonald's is messing around with how do we, you know, automate the personal way. I do think it's going to help marginally on, on the surface for McDonald's. I'd be shocked to see Chick-fil-A use that particular application of artificial intelligence because they're so focused on that human to human interaction and the customer experience. And to me, that was that was what I found interesting about the article was just just what was who wasn't there and what wasn't there. And it just got me thinking about, well, you know, to me, the best use of artificial intelligence isn't going to be to replace people as much as it is going to be to enhance your ability to deliver a better client experience, human experience. That was my long-winded thoughts <laughs> on that particular piece. Well, there's some there's some really good thoughts in there. Your point about Chick-fil-A and augmentation is critical. It's a it's a brand that knows itself and is is true to itself and that's an expression of a culture, a very strong and I would I would argue healthy yeah. culture. Whereas the McDonald's or the Hardee's examples, one of the things that the article called out is that they're not necessarily replacing humans. They don't have the humans yeah. in order to take the order that since COVID, the size of the McDonald's team or Hardy's team, I couldn't remember which one it was, is that runs a shift is is down like five to 10 people, depending on the size of the store that, you know, if they had the people, maybe they would want to use them and not think about that experience the way you've thought about it thoughtfully. I, I used to ride bikes with a senior HR person at McDonald's, a gentleman that was really high up working on their HR strategy. And my sense is that a McDonald's-like corporation is looking for ways to eliminate those, those bodies because those bodies you know, are hard to find, take time to train, costly to train. They turn over. And to your point, no matter how much you train them, still have trouble delivering you know, an ideal client experience. You know, so to take them out of the equation and all those downsides, I get that. Yeah, I, I do think it, it makes a ton of sense for them. I, I like that you did did comment on what they said, which I think everyone can see and feel when you're there, when you're in those, is that, is that they are systematically understaffed. I think the thing that I found, I, I love that you went to culture, was like, why was it that Chick-fil-A didn't have that problem? How in the world did they navigate through this? 
I do think to your point, it comes down to, to culture and, and what they expect of people and what they do for people, you know, that, that work there. So let's shift gears a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on that because I don't know if it's like the most germane thing. Well, so, I will right, say this. I will say this. We'll, we'll put a, a link to the article in the show notes. There were some great examples of the nuances and the learning that they took away from the experiments that I found insightful because I thought to myself, as they were saying, I was like, I never would have considered that. I I never would have thought about that branch in the dialogue being directed, you know, to a human at that point or, you know, another direction or something. So I found the logic that it shared fascinating. Yeah, that was interesting. And they, to your point, they talked a lot about like, you know, when a human needs to get involved and why and how they do that. And it is interesting. It comes back to, you know, when I'm getting really a little bit off, off track here, but like the comparison we're making, but like there's so much multitasking that has to happen inside of those environments. People that work there are asked to do so many things at once. It's, it's almost infathomable with how they're trying to manage it all. And so, so I think to the extent it, it takes some of that away, it's got to be a, a fabulous improvement for them, for, for the employee experience as well. So I think that's worth noting. The other thing I think is important about that, when I was growing up, maybe not you, you always had to go into the bank to cash a check or deposit mm-hmm. a check. Or when you pulled up, you know, when I was first running a drive to fill up your car, somebody came out and filled the car up for you. But at this point, I... I or taking a flight, you know, you'd go to the front desk. Now, all of those things are replaced by kiosks. Yeah. And I don't know that many people want to go back, you know, to the way it was. I like yeah. being in control of, of that exchange. And that sets an expectation for me about how I interact with businesses more generally. And I think that's something important for firms to keep in mind is understanding when people want to interact with you and when maybe they don't. And I also think it's important to to acknowledge that there's an assumption that they always want a human-to-human interaction in professional services. And there actually are instances where it could be just a, to your point, an interface. And maybe that's actually better um, in certain instances. So let's talk about the content piece of this. Let's talk about, you know, this, 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 you know, outcry against AI companies grows over who controls internet's content. You also shared that article. Why did that one jump out to you? I think it's obvious, but I'd like to kind of hear your thoughts. Well, professional services firms, you know, lifeblood is expertise, right? In owning their intellectual capital, even though so much of it in practice is fungible and we see people copy whole service areas and, and, and methodologies to, to a large degree, there's still something to be said about protecting the original thinking and concepts that exist. If we lose that, we lose something incredibly valuable, not just to innovation more generally, but to, I think, entrepreneurship and motivation to innovate. Personal property. <laughs> Yeah. Is is the bedrock of a strong capitalist society. And if that is is just taken away, it's not going to be a good thing. You know what I think is interesting about the article is that when you look back at the, you know, the last 30 years of the internet economy, right? Google and the social media companies, they they basically kind of just tried to slough this off at every turn and say, well, you know what? Content wants to be free, content should be free. We don't owe you anything. 
you know, we're Google, we're, we're, we're sweeping up all of your content and we're putting it in a search algorithm and we're going to make it free and we don't owe you a dime. And they just let the news organizations kind of like die on the vine. And the same thing with the social media companies. What I find interesting about this was that's not the vibe that I took away at all from the AI companies involved. It was a more collaborative vibe, was at least what I was reading into it. Sort of an acknowledgement that what you said, that, well, we want to we want to do this the right way. Yeah, we, we want to find some happy medium. That's the way I read it. Maybe you disagree, which I thought was really good to see, because I do think that if there is no protection of IP in this journey, then that's going to be a net negative for society and content creators everywhere, really. So I do think that the fact that they're at the table having conversations about what this could look like is absolutely a net positive. It didn't feel like an antagonistic conversation in there. I mean, yes, there's lawsuits involved. There always are. But it didn't feel that way to me when I was reading it. Obviously, I'm not inside these conversations. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, you know, at the table here with the, with the lawyers involved. But that was my take. Uh, did you agree? Yes, I got that feel from it. I'm not sure how it will unfold. Play out. No. Yeah. yeah. But that would be the right direction to go. Whether that happens voluntarily or involuntarily, we'll have to, to wait to see. But the people that generate those ideas, to me, should be compensated for those ideas. And we've seen, uh, you alluded to this about how newspapers and their business models have kind of eroded as a result of, of Google. My sense is that the best journalists and the best properties in that news space have weathered well through, you know, this whole internet phenomenon. They've taken hits, you know, for example, on the classifieds and, and, you know, that kind of revenue generating model. But in terms of producing great journalism, th- those properties have held pretty strong through the years. I think I would disagree with that. I would agree with you for big, notable brands. They've navigated through and come to the other side and been in a good place. Wall Street Journal, New York Times. But I mean, every local media has been basically decimated. I mean, you, know, you look at like local media newsrooms, they're gone. They don't exist. It's it's definitely concentrated quality journalism in a handful of places and it's wiped out really any other viable business model on, on a local level. But that being said, it's funny, I was as you were talking, I was scanning through that article to, to look for signs that my inference is right, that, that this feels positive. Can't find one. So maybe it's just the optimist in me reading it, reading that into the conversation that they're they're open to the to to the situation. I could be totally wrong about that. Now that I rescanned the article, remains to be seen. But but I agree with you. Like I, I think finding a solution here is definitely needed. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Now, the flip of that, AI AI junk is polluting the internet. The reason I, I shared that was I felt like it's the repercussions of this, basically that, okay, you're taking the IP of, of everyone, but you're taking the IP of lots of really smart people and funneling it into a large language model, and then people are spitting it out the other side. 
to create derivative works of which the copywriter producer has no no voice. In that outcry article, one of the comments was that, well, you know, if you can go into the, the language model and tell it to create, let's say, an opening prompt for rattle and pedal in the style of Pee Wee Herman, then it would have had to have ingested some of Pee Wee Herman's content in order to do that. And that was sort of one of the, the essences of the argument. And so, you know, I think what you're definitely seeing on the other side is people just, you know, flooding the marketplace with AI generated article submissions to, you know, news publications or just self-publishing. And the, one of the parts of that article that I liked that I found really interesting that I think is worth noting, and it's because we've had this conversation with some clients. They say, well, Jason, why shouldn't we use this content? And we've talked a little bit about why not to. And, you know, one of the main reasons I, I usually cite is this, this idea that a large language model sort of represents the collective wisdom of everything. So it's sort of like, it's sort of, it's collapsing on the mean point of view of everything, right? And so if you're trying to build a distinct point of view on, a, on an issue that really matters to a client, I don't see how you're going to do that when you're basically sourcing it from kind of the collective wisdom of the crowd, if you will. If you're looking for something that's going to be contrarian and represent a better way. So it's almost like it's the perfect way. And I wrote this in an article I wrote recently. It's the perfect way to identify conventional wisdom you know, because it's of, of what it, what, what it's designed to do. But anyway, at the bottom of that article, they, they, they talk about this notion of like the more content that AI generates, the more AI is ingesting said content, the more that essentially the content starts to degrade. And they described it almost like taking a picture and scanning it and scanning it again and again and again and how it degrades over time. And I think that's a really fascinating concept to think about. I think what it means is, is that for firms, their distinct human point of view is more important than ever because as the internet becomes awash with more and more of this content, the stuff that's going to stand out is the stuff that's distinctly human and unique and maybe contrarian and, and, and represents a better way. I think you make some, some great points. I've met with multiple prospects or friends, you know, that are doing marketing that are using AI to produce content. And in my opinion, it absolutely is horrific. <laughs> if, if, if you are using chat GPT or Jasper or any of these others to generate content for your blog or for whatever else, and you're not heavily, heavily editing it, you are wasting your time and you're actually destroying your brand. I would argue, even if you're heavily editing it, you're still doing what you said. You're getting the collective wisdom of a large language model. The extent it's wisdom, actually. I'm probably being too kind, right? Yes, yes. Because essentially, I think what AI is good at is creating listicles, essentially. You know, what are the biggest issues? Give me the benefits. What are the risks? What are, you know, boom, kind of lays them out. And it lays them out and articulates them in just horrific prose, I think. It's akin to optimizing an article using SEO tool, right? You start folding in certain words in order to load the article up with keywords that'll resonate, you know, for a page. And it, it's just difficult to, to read. It's unoriginal and, and redundant. The real value, I think, that the human mind brings that AI, or at least these tools that, that we have right now, yeah. is it, it, it doesn't capture nuance and it doesn't capture the complex interrelatedness 
of issues the way the human mind does. And to me, that is the essence of professional services and the thinking required for clients is that complex nuance. You know, we laugh all the time. Well, the answer depends, right? Yeah, it depends. The consultant's number one answer, right? To any question ever posed. Well, it depends. And justifiably so, right? And, And AI just is not ready for that. And you're ultimately just going to get the lowest common denominator, collective wisdom. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like, I, I don't consider myself by any means an expert on, on how these large language models work. But my loose understanding is that essentially when it's assembling something, you ask it to write something for you. It, it's basically predicting what word would likely come next based on all of the content it's consumed. So the way I describe it is it's not sentient. It's not writing something. It's essentially just like assembling words together in strings that it thinks makes sense based on all the stuff it's ingested. And that comes out of that AI junk piece from the and that the people that were receiving these AI generated submissions that are that own you know online publishing platforms, they're journalists, right? They own editorial news sites, if you will. They're not news sites, but they're they're niche industry journals, that kind of thing. That's what they describe. They said the content comes in, it's all grammatically perfect, right? It's all real grammatically correct. It's garbage. It doesn't say anything. It just runs on and on. There's something to that. I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but there's something to this idea that it's sort of just predicting words in, in strings based on what it's ingested, not really articulating something the way that a human would articulate it. Well, to wrap this up, I think firms need to keep three things in mind as it relates to AI. For where we are right now, this is a moving target. The first one is if you're dependent on SEO and inbound as your primary lead channel, you really need to go back and rethink that because the AI-driven search engines and how they're serving up information and this abundance of eroding type of, of content is messing up that model. And you need to seriously rethink SEO's place in your marketing mix and think more comprehensively about that mix. And I'll come back to that in, in just a second. Second one is you really need to be clear about your brand's relevance and those drivers of relevance in the professional services space, the the drivers of brand preference. Relevance is the bridge to, to preference. And what is that expertise? What is that result you deliver? And what is that relationship, simpatico, that you're trying to form with your client? You need to refine and home in on what is your point of view? What is your big idea? Where are you trying to build your brand's positioning? And you have to get really clear and focused on that. And then the third thing, this goes back to your comments about Chick-fil-A. When you have all this content, all this thinking, all this IP just bubbling up, the thing that is going to distinguish your firm is your people. Yeah. And the human interaction is going to become even more important. And that's why I say, think about your marketing mix and where your clients don't want to interact with you, but do want to know your ideas and where and when do they want to actually interact with you and optimize that mix 
you know, for your buyer's journey. And I, I don't know the answer. So I think every business is a little bit different, but those would be the things I would be thinking about. I love them. I think they're really, really good words of, of advice. And I think they're all spot on, spot on, 100%. And if we're going to stay contemporary and current, we need to kind of like lift up the, the, the external comms a little bit. Those are two different things. And so be, be clear what you're doing when you go into this, because one, there are much different business reasons for each of those two things. And there's much different implications in terms of costs and everything else. So uh, I would add that as a third lesson, kind of like a lesson zero. Okay. Well, this was fun. Behind the headlines, you know, another another one knocked down. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. See you, buddy. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.